gotta tell you about that other German beer fest. AB InBev pulls out of craft beer. A beer from the Iron Age was just discovered. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer. Ooh, and I have some exciting news. I paid some guy on Fiverr to write this uh, special It's All Beer theme song, so I don't have to keep on thinking up this weird shit every week. Uh, so I just got it. Uh, here it goes. <clears throat> it's All Beer, a show about beer. So gather near to hear about beer. Well, that's the best five bucks I've ever spent. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman, and I hope to God you actually paid someone to write that. <laughs> I did. I gave myself five dollars, <laughs> and then I went and bought a beer. How are you today? I'm pretty good. You know, besides for the fact that on my way home from work today, I forgot to grab beer for the podcast. Holy shit! Are you not drinking a beer for this podcast? No, I am. Uh, I had to dig around my fridge in my garage, <laughs> uh, and I came down to two options. Okay. A random hazy IPA that got lost in the back of the fridge to die from July, uh, or a Coors Original. Please tell me you went with the uh, the, the the ancient hazy. No, nope, he's he's rocking some Coors. Coors Original. He's, he's rocking some Coors Original. Just living up to that uh, uh, Northern Idaho stereotype. Actually, you're the musical. only two beers I had in this house. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed at you. You sell beer. How do you not have just beer laying? I, I've got like three cases of like barrel aged stuff sitting around. I've got a kegerator. I've also just got random things I get for samples. How, how do I have like just more beer floating around my house than you? Because I really only drink when I work. That's a little. <laughs> It's an interesting commentary of the beer industry, and it's not – the thing is it's not uncommon. I have heard, like, more than one person uh, in my life say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not drinking anymore. Well, I drink at work, but that's it. Yeah. I, I'm like, the only time I really ever drink at home is doing this podcast remotely or when I have people over. You're, I think you're ruining people's um... – opinion of you because i i think they i i think you've crafted this image of of yourself uh at least somewhere between a a, a blistering drunk and off your tits at least five nights a week <laughs> hey i mean there's sometimes where i go on the benders but for the most part getting drunk's just kind of lost its luster you are you, you are disappointing so many people right now. Um, I, on the other I'm hand... Like, alcohol is just kind of the negative side effect I get from drinking beer. Well, this has been It's All Beer. Uh, we're done forever. <laughs> um, I picked up a, um, a, the, a lemon drop sour from uh, Thirsty Street. Uh, it is a... Uh, uh, a, uh, a uh, American sour ale with uh, amarillo hops and lemon peel, and it nice. is pretty much as advertised. It is very lightly tart, mostly like just a slight lemon tartness, um, a little bit of grapefruit uh, hop flavor. It's pretty simplistic, but it's actually really refreshing. This is. Um, um, I'm, I'm, uh, this is a, this would be a great, um, warm weather beer if warm weather ever actually comes to Idaho. Um, looking out the window today, I'm fairly certain that we are now living in Game of Thrones land and we're just settling in for like 10 years of winter. <laughs> you fucking whiner. Uh, oh. so I actually stopped by these guys' brewery when I was up in Billings couple weeks ago whenever we took that random week off um and we picked up one of their bottles of like one of their wild be fermented beers mm -hmm. and it was delicious was it overly complex i can't even remember what it was i've got um, a, i've got one of the uh their bottles that i really like i want to say it's a flanders red or 
No, it might be a. Ch- I can't remember what it is, but I no, I think it was a chair. I think it was a a a a, 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 a wild ale with cherry. That was. I want to say it had good. wine grapes in it because my coworker loves all beers made with wine. Um, so I think we your, ended up going with that one. Your coworker and, should just drink wine. Oh, he drinks a lot of wine too. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, got one guy in the beer industry who's who doesn't drink, another who uh, uh, who only drinks wine. What the fuck is happening right now? Am I the oh, only no, he person a... keeping this shit together? <laughs> oh no, he drinks a lot of beer, and we drank a lot of beer on this trip. But that bottle at the brewery was like four dollars or five dollars for the seven fifty or whatever it is, and it was a fantastic wild ale. But the fact that it was like uh, sub five dollars blew my mind. That's uh, I mean that's that's uh, pretty freaking cheap for a uh, a wild fermented beer. Yeah, gotta love Montana, <laughs> <laughs> which is well that might be uh, that might just be indicative of of trying to sell it there. Like we made a wild ale. Uh, I I, I don't know what that is. Um, well we we're, well, we we made a beer and we just used wild yeast and bacteria to to uh, to ferment it. So it went bad. No, it's a whole. Here, here's a course original. Just, just go on. <laughs> but they also have a distillery in their brewery as well. That's awesome. I don't know if it's the same company or like what the legal things are, but like it has like a whole glass wall off, and you can look back in on the distillery as well. And I was like, huh, that's nifty. Watching the distillers at work like they're a fish in an aquarium, tapping on the glass. Yep. No, you don't do that. It hurts the distillers' ears. <laughs> like the like, like the gorilla, uh, the like the the, the gorilla um, uh, paddock in uh, in uh, Omaha. There's a big gorilla exhibit in their zoo, and there's one gorilla especially that likes to like sit sit against the uh, glass window with his back turned. And wait for people to like gather close, and then he turns around and bangs on the window. That's what he does all day. That's that's his form of entertainment. So, I thought you were gonna say the Cincinnati Zoo, R.I.P. Harambe. I never went to the Cincinnati Zoo. You do you not know of Harambe? I know he was the glue that held this country up together, and once he died due to the child falling in his container. Uh, the country went to shit. I I think I remember hearing something about that, but I wasn't. I was not. A, uh, I was unaware that that was that linchpin that was keeping everything on track. Do your research. Okay. The big media and big governments hiding it from you, but he was the true glue that held it together. Have you have you try? Has did someone try oxygenating his butthole? Uh, no. Someone shot him in the head. So. Uh... <laughs> They should have tried oxygenating his butthole first, because I understand that uh, that cures everything. Uh, but before he... Well, I, <laughs> I was like, they should have shot the mother who let their child fall into a gorilla exhibit. <laughs> when was this? I want to say like 2018, 2019. Okay, so the... No, I disagree. The, 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 the going to shit was well in progress long before then. Hold on. I will get you the exact time. Harambe... <laughs> Well, this uh, has well, this has been. It's all gorilla news. <laughs> uh, twenty sixteen. Okay, that. Uh, I feel like there's more things going to shit before then, but that's a reasonable nope. enough. Nope. Nope. That was it. He was the glue that held this country okay. together. Also, if you're at Space Bar in Boise, they have a game called Harambe Kong. Well, let's get into it, shall? <laughs> Jeremy, what are we starting with? (laughs) This goes completely and utterly off the rails. Uh, AB InBev retreating from craft beer news now. Uh, Last week, Tyler, you brought us uh, the end of the Platform Beer Saga. What was one of the most innovative, fastest growing, and exciting breweries when it opened back in 2014? Maybe it's the linchpin that held this country together. I don't know. Um, Nope. Harambe. Uh, it announced uh, 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 its new corporate owner at uh, ABMF announced that it was closing. Um, 
uh, any of its uh, physical locations, and, and it would exist as like three IPAs out in the market. And it turns out uh, it was only the tip of an, tip of the iceberg, or should I say it's the tip of the ship that just recently hit the iceberg. Um, this comes from a couple of articles, an article in Good Beer Hunting by Kate Bernat and uh, Drinks Business by uh, Jessica Mason. Uh, a week after it was announced that it pretty much scaled platforms operation back to nothing, AB InBev took the axe to uh, some other craft breweries that it owned. Uh, the extent to these cuts is not known at this time. AB InBev declined to comment or provide details as to what is going on or how many people it affects. Um, the figures come in mostly from current or former employees, and it seems that there's been a cut at Blue Point, Devil's Backbone, uh, Golden Road Brewing, uh, Carbach Brewing, and Wicked Weed. Um, also on the block, reportedly, are the marketing staff for the craft, ba- craft brand division. Uh, this comes as a bit of a twist that given over the, given, uh, uh, over the last 10 years, AB InBev has spent upwards of $600 million for the 13 breweries and an additional $130 million in additional capital. Of course, that's got to hurt. That's got to suck for consolation to see that AB InBev got 13 breweries for less than it got one. Uh, (laughs) Oh, fuck. (laughs) But what we're seeing now, uh, uh, perhaps... Uh, runs against the idea that craft beer was the number one growth engine uh, for AB InBev as the company loudly proclaimed as late as 2019. And even now, the company still asserts its commitment to craft beer with a slightly different tone. Um, I got this quote here from Andy Thomas, president of uh, AB InBev's uh, high-end division. Uh, See if you can spot where it kind of goes off the rails. Um, Quote, Winning in craft remains a key pillar of our strategy to lead and develop the premium segment, but winning means something different in today's marketplace than it did a few years ago. Last week, several of our craft brewery partners announced local team updates that will allow them to better address evolving consumer needs and trends in their home markets and beyond. Local team updates. Corporate speak has officially transitioned from euphemism to pure delusion. You're being updated. Cool. Am I getting erased? No, you don't work here anymore. Security is here to update your ass right out the door. Yeah, so in this update, you got deleted. Uh. <laughs> One updated employee speaking to Good Beer Hunting had a slightly different view. Quote, the consensus was like, craft means nothing to AB. We're not just a cog in the wheel being a craft brand. We're a cog in the wheel and a cog in a wheel and a cog in the wheel. We just don't move the needle in any way. Yeah. And especially since Michelob Ultra has taken off and in the next like three to five years, Mick Ultra will probably overtake Bud Light as their number one producer and Bud Light will start mattering less and less. Which is interesting because they put uh, Michelob Ultra in their high end division. It's managed in- because it it sells for a higher premium. It's not the ultra l- light lager like the Bud Light is in the like grocery store categories. It's that premium domestic beer. So basically, uh, the high end division is basically Michelob Ultra. Is what oh. I'm getting. Is what I'm getting from this. Yeah. Well, so what's happening? Well, first. I think it's a symptom of the overall changes in craft beer right now. Uh, competition, we've said it again and again, competition's rising, and we're not seeing a growth in customers. And old brands, even those who uh, don't have the stink of the evil corporate empire, are fading from people's minds uh, as they seek out the newest, latest, and greatest. And while craft beer business, uh, uh, craft beer businesses that depend on selling craft beer because um, because they actually sell craft beer. They will pivot, innovate, whatever else they need to do to keep the beer flowing. It should come as no freaking surprise that AB InBev is just going to kind of move on, which, depending on how closely you read the last quarterly earnings, that's exactly what they're uh, what they're intending to do. Only one craft brand and only one beer was mentioned by name. Can you guess it? Ten Barrel uh, Profuse Juice. Uh, here's a clue. Uh, it's a lifestyle brand. Coda, big way. Bing, bingo. That's the only craft, uh, craft band and craft brand and beer they mentioned 
in their earnings report. Meanwhile, their Beyond Beer uh, section was mentioned eight times. And that's where AB InBev seems to be putting its fo- focus and money right now. Cutwater and Neutral both expanded uh, nationally. They got Super Bowl ads, which makes sense. Cutwater, you know, that thing that Ballast Point, the Ballast Point guys invented that actually made money. I know it's not nice to kick Constellation while they're down, but that's also got to hurt. You famously bought a brewery for a billion dollars, and the guys you bought it from go on to start another company. You lose your ass on the brewery. AB InBev buys that other company, and it kills it in the market. Meanwhile, you're left selling a brewery you ran to the ground for, what, a third of the price? Like, <laughs> If <and> that. <laughs> yeah, a tenth. Uh, Cutwater uh, does... Uh, does more than any craft brand that AB InBev owns at 145, sorry, $145 million in sales last year. Um, Elysian yep. was surprisingly the only brand that got anywhere close at $115 million. Um, Neutral, uh, it's one of their, uh, Neutral is one of their seltzer brands, uh, did $28.5 million, which beat out Four Peaks, Breckenridge, and Devil's Backbone. And they managed to do this while not nearly having the distribution or the retail space or or anything else that their beery counterparts had, which, yeah, if I'm running that company, uh, if you're pumping money into one part of the business and it's doing okay, and another part is killing it and you're barely doing anything, well, guess who's daddy's new favorite child? Yep. Um, <laughs> the one bright spot... Uh, that strikes me as a little bit weird in this day and age, although maybe it's not as weird as I thought it was, um, is that all their brands seem to be finding some success in the double IPA category. Uh, the Goose Island IPA plummeted 19% in retail in chain retail in 2022. Uh, but meanwhile, their beer hug lineup has seen triple digit growth uh, and is trailing just behind the Voodoo Ranger uh, in second place. The only thing I could think of is it's the price per point for the beer. That's... So if you're selling a double IPA keg cheaper than most craft breweries are selling their normal IPA, of course people are going to buy it because then they can either charge more and make more money or charge the same and sell more of it because the customers are going to be like, oh, I want to get fucked up, so I'll drink that beer instead of that beer for the same price. And there's also a push in large format uh, double IPA. Um, uh, I, that train of thought just ended. Now, uh, there's a push t- uh, for larger format double IPAs. Um, and I think very much uh, 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 a trail blazed by Voodoo Ranger or the uh, uh, Imperial uh, Voodoo Ranger coming in mm-hmm. at 9%, which sells for. About this, I mean, it sells for the same price as a pale ale, uh, and it's again nine percent. There's there's a certain amount of bang for your buck there, and I think there's a lot of, a lot mo- of brands it, following that. In most in most gas stations in Boise, the Imperial Voodoo Ranger sells at three nineteen. Uh, that's and it's a nineteen two ounce can, so you're getting yep, a, you know, a pint and a half of some uh, extra boozy booze. That's Mm-hmm. And it, if you think about it, in a bar, you're probably going to get served a 10-ounce pour of it. So you get two pours for under $4. Which is not bad. for And, and a 19-2 of, an, of a 9% beer, that's a decent evening. I don't know about you, you, you as someone who doesn't drink at home anymore, but uh, polishing that I... up, <laughs> you old man. <laughs> Withered old fuck. Uh, Elysian <laughs> Space Dust uh, lost 6%. What? Uh, and their full contact hazy, well, it's not doing well. It's frankly only following at a slightly lower pace at 3.8%, but it's still the its best performing beer. Uh, and 10 Barrel discontinued the Joe IPA, their former flagship, and released Always Down Double last year. And it's seen, mm. again, triple digit growth. Yeah. Uh, I thought they replaced Joe with Profuse Juice. That's why I guessed that. But uh, well, they may have replaced it with that. But it's the uh, Always Down is the is their double IPA brand that's that's doing well in the market. Um, but after all this, I feel like we're looking at a future for these brands that very few people saw coming. 
During the buyouts of like 2015, uh, when there was this panic, it came from two places. First was that uh, corporate beer was going to buy their way into craft beer and use their evil corporate ways to eliminate any competition, which, by the way, I maintain was not in, an invalid assessment at the time. AB InBev definitely tried to do that, um, and I think they found, to cribble line from Princess Leia, that the more they tighten their grip, the more breweries and customers slip through their fingers. The other big fear was that Budweiser was going to get, get in there and change everything and just make all these beers suck. Uh, talking to people, even out the... No, that's Constellation's move. <laughs> Take that kind of... No, I, I don't know why we're, we're, we're slapping Constellation around during an AB InBev story, but that's where we are at this point in time. Uh, just talking to people very unscientifically out in the market, um, I, I, I get this this assessment uh, that's that... Uh, um, that like Widmere, uh, Goose Island IPA, Ten Barrel, uh, all their beers used to taste absolutely wonderful until exactly 30 seconds after the ink was dry on the contracts. Then, you know, the evil AB InBev went in and changed everything and all went to shit, which I actually, I, that part I never bought into because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, why would you spend a shit ton of money to buy a thing and then change everything about that thing? It's like spending a million dollars on a Ferrari and then wheeling it to your garage, tinkering for a while, and coming out and saying, Look, I made a Yugo! <laughs> why the fuck would you do that? Um, but what I don't think anybody saw coming, or at least very few people, um, because I suppose we didn't think about what would happen uh, to the craft beer market as it aged, but uh, it's... It's definitely what's happening to the platform. Um, it's not, you know, the, the fact that they're that they're not going away, but they're getting reduced to three IPAs. And how long do those IPAs last in the market before they lose whatever market share they ever had? Goose Island, the same way, uh, as far as this market is concerned, really Bourbon County is about the only reason for its existence anymore. Well, that and a six, uh, pack, of, a six pack of the IPA that's been, that's been on the shelf as long as my child has been alive. Uh and there's six barrel kegs. I haven't talked to anyone from the distributor there in a while, but if I remember, it used to be like 45 or $50 for a six barrel of Goose Island IPA, and it was literally cheaper to buy three six barrels than one half barrel, which, for those of you that are like, what the fuck did he just say? That is the same amount of beer. So normally, if you buy a half barrel over three six barrels you get a price break on that half barrel works out to be cheaper usually but this I mean, was well, the cheaper per ounce what you end up getting because a, a a half barrel is as if, if for those of you that can do math which if you're in the industry you know you probably can't and i understand in condolences but i mean you're sent but they they usually charge roughly double for a half barrel but you're getting three times the beer and so mm -hmm. you're almost getting a sixth worth of beer Free. for nothing yeah by, by where Goose barrel. Island Goose Island IPA was like the one exception to that rule in this market for the longest time where you could buy three for cheaper than buying one half barrel. And that's probably where my bias comes in because I very rarely find myself in places that where you look at a craft beer menu, I'm like, oh, so you've got uh, Widmere and Goose Island IPA. And cool. don't forget about Big Wave. <laughs> Big Wave, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I, we got it. We, we got at least one person who listens on the regular who will probably loudly correct me on that. <laughs> um, uh, let us know, Aaron, let us know. <laughs> but anyway, but, but anything else, I mean, that's, but even that they don't have much of a presence here and that could be the local distributor or the fact that we live in a big, a bit of a backwater, but it feels like all of the brands that AB and Bev bought just slowly fading away, which is not something I think anybody anticipated at the time. The that... only brand that hasn't in this area is Ten Barrel. I think there's a regionality to, to their strategy um, as you know, uh, as well, because they kind of bought one brewery in every region to kind of have a craft brand, a, a local craft brand in every region. And But even Ten Barrel, they, you, you see more stuff from them, but, but not... They don't have a force out in the market that I that I remember. Uh, they still have a little, and they also, uh, I think, a benefit to them is they also had the canned cocktail side, too. There's that. So, 
Um, but uh, speaking of Beyond Beer, a really quick detour. Uh, this little extra comes from Vine Pears, uh, uh, Nicol- Nicolette Baker. Bud Light Seltzer is running into a major public relations problem after I years, was going to bring this up <laughs> after years and years of trying to convince the world that their bland flavorless horse piss in a bright blue can was actually beer. Bud Light Seltzer is having to try and convince people and in the public that their seltzers are not actually beer. I just want to take a moment to enjoy this. I'm sorry, that sound you're hearing is me getting intensely sexually aroused from the sheer delicious irony of it all. <laughs> Bud Light Seltzer just launched the 100% seltzer, 0% beer, uh, 0% beer ad campaign, which really speaks to their desperation right now. Because at first, they played off the confusion as a joke in a series of commercials, including uh, a one that featured Post Malone's brain trying to contemplate Bud Light over Bud Light Seltzer. And for the record... Um, there was just one major problem when they assumed that there was anything in Post Malone's head besides a 10-year-old Laffy Taffy and two crickets having very unsatisfying sex. Um, wow, listen, not a Post Malone fan, huh? Post Malone is what would happen if a venereal disease wished to be a real boy and a fairy granted that wish. Uh, <laughs> there I said it. <laughs> wow, you got some pent-up hate. Uh, the point is, it's not a joke anymore. Uh Market research indicated that 50% of the people polled thought Bud Light Seltzer was a beer, which is a little frustrating given that the two have pretty, two different, the two products have pretty different markets. And the question becomes, of course, why did they use the name of the best selling beer in the country to sell not beer? Well, the advantage to the Bud Light name is obvious. It came with instant brand recognition, along with immediate access to retail space and other outlets. But there is a very real problem, and that a problem appears to be your average Bud Light drinker, which is something like this. Oh, it says Bud Light on the can. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's branded that way, but it's totally different. This is a hard seltzer. It, it says Bud Light. I understand that, but it's, I understand it's a totally different thing. Bud Light is beer. Bud Light is a beer, but this is something different. This is, are you telling me Bud Light isn't a beer? Fuck it, it's a beer. It's a fucking beer. I'm leaving. (laughs) You remember that WhatsApp commercial? (laughs) Yeah. Dems were good commercials. (laughs) What you're dealing with is the average intelligence, which is just below Post Malone, which is on the far edge of sentience. On the other side of that line, you have your mollusks and your cephalopods. And by the way, I worded that insult thusly so that any of them who actually stumbled upon this podcast would be confused by the polysyllabic words and wouldn't be offended. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) The point. You're on a rant today. I just feel like being a dick. The point is, AP InBev is now a giant corporation trying to convince the entire world and a jury in their lawsuit against Constellation that seltzer is different from beer. And they are failing at it miserably. And that sound you hear was actually just me achieving sexual satisfaction. Tyler, what's next? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I gotta try to bleach the thought of my <laughs> of you achieving sexual satisfaction from my brain. Uh, Please, well, we're gonna talk about you've, Munich's. You've been, you've been in this office with me. What do you think I do when you're not here? Read the Bible. Uh huh. That's mas- what I tell myself. And, and masturbate upon it. <laughs> you're not Republican. <laughs> I'm going to hell when I die. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about uh, Munich's other beer fest that has largely been a secret and unknown to the United States. Uh, it's the Stark Beersit or Stark Beer Fest, uh, which some refer to as the fifth season. Uh, Stark beers it literally translates to strong. Season? Yep. As in like, as in like you got spring, summer, fall, and then a week where they're drinking Doppelbach. 
Yep. So it literally translates to strong beer time is what Stark Beers it translates to. And it's a beer fest uh, that takes place around Lent uh, and is all based on the Doppelbach. So most breweries in Germany will have one beer really there for the beer fest. It's their Doppelbach that they made. Uh, but this Vine Pair article actually ends up talking to several breweries here in the United States that have ended up adopting it and uh, really kind of going all out and American craft beering this German beer fest. I'm sure every German purist who sees like the list of some of these is just like screaming in their later hosens. <laughs> And it sounds like they're swearing at them, but they're just, like, talking at a normal volume uh, in German, so. I mean, but... I, well, I, I, I mean, let's let's take a minute and, and, and give this its due concern, because whenever Germans start worrying about purity, shit's, shit's happened, okay? I'm just saying, when they start talking about purity of things, uh, you know, uh, culture, government, races, uh, it hasn't ended well. <laughs> The only thing we still let them worry about is beer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can keep the beer pure. Are you going to kill any Jews to do it? Maybe a couple. Okay, that's fine then. If it's under five, we're good. <laughs> that's five for the whole country, not per person. <laughs> Send your complaints to it's all here at gmail.com and... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, this is line. how we get removed from every podcast platform. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but uh, the first, they actually talked to Brothers Craft Brewing in Harrisonburg, Virginia, who have a huge affinity for German beer. Uh, Hellas Lager is one of their flagships. They hold an annual Oktoberfest party. Uh, but some German guests started suggesting they should consider holding a Stark Beer Festival and they were kind of shocked and they were like we had no idea what they were talking about no one in the area does it and so they started researching it figured it out and planned it that they were going to do it and kick it off in early 2020 I'm going to go at a guess <laughs> and suggest that that particular festival was poorly attended it was pushed off a year, uh, so the inaugural one happened in 2021. Uh, the third e annual Stark Beer celebration uh, will be March 25th this year. So if you're over in Harrisburg, Virginia, stop on by and find plenty of Doppelbox as well as some old world costumes. Um uh, they encourage customers to come dressed in lederhosen or any German attire they have. They said, "Not if you any spent German money on... Just be, be somewhat selective about the German attire. I can't stress that enough. There is some German attire that is very much not welcome." Fair enough. I I, <laughs> I was extrapolating on what they said. Keep, I should have remembered the, it's Virginia. Keep away from uh, Keep away from the color brown. <laughs> And any, any World War II attire, just skip it. <laughs> and uh, any, uh, uh, yeah, former Buddhist symbols that have kind of been besmirched over the years. Let's just, just skip all, over all that. Later, Hosen's fine, though. Uh, but um, they talk about how, you know, they have basically tried to make this just as big as their Oktoberfest. They said, you know, if... You spend the money to buy the later hosen. Why do you only pull it out one time a year? This is the perfect excuse to get your money's worth on your later hosens, and it gives you a second <laughs> season. I do appreciate uh, that there is a Doppelbach festival. Uh, I mean, I think you probably know this, uh, uh, and I know this because I'm a geek, but uh, other people don't. I mean, you probably heard, you know, the idea that um, that monks in Middle Ages, Renaissance, and later, uh, would uh, would not eat and only drink beer for Lent, and what they would drink was the Doppelbach. In fact, Doppelbach was largely created for that purpose. 
and that's the reason this festival typically in Germany takes place on Ash Wednesday or starts on Ash Wednesday. Uh, and so it doesn't have a set time every year. The Americans, uh, of course, we kind of bastardize it and just put it somewhere around Lent. Don't always put it on Ash Wednesday. Uh, but they actually uh, were talking to, uh, I want to say it was one of the heads of Casey Beer Company in Kansas City, Missouri, who uh, said they're, uh, they have some customers that will do the all-beer diet for Lent. Uh, two years ago, that included the pastor who uh, comes to the brewery to uh, deliver the Doppelbox blessing. <laughs> uh, uh, first of all... He said... <laughs> first of all, I've, he I've, said, I've been KC Beer Company, and I can say without fear of being wrong that there's more than a few guys who are already on the beer diet there. <laughs> Uh, they that's said not the a pastor new, had to. <laughs> that's not a new state of affairs for them. I mean, what they'll be giving up is occasionally some bratwurst to help soak the beer out, and some ribs. Uh, <laughs> but they said the pastor had to give up about halfway through, uh, and they suggest if you're going to do that, probably take a vitamin and some fiber supplements along. But outside of that, you should be good. Uh, <laughs> Do you get bound up if you if you don't eat anything and drink nothing but beer? Uh, I mean, it's got enough calories. It's got some protein in it, so you can survive on it. But I mean, look, you might just be peeing out your asshole, man. A a, a writer famously did. I I read an article and it it kind of circulated around the internet for a while. Um, uh, you know, it was a, a journalist who who uh, uh, set out to and successfully completed. Uh, drinking nothing but Doppelbach uh, for Lent, and he lost upwards of thirty pounds or something like that. Uh, oh, I believe it. Uh, and but I mean, but yeah, he you can survive it. I I don't recommend it, but you can survive it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talked to Silver Branch Brewing Company, who uh, used to serve a batzda, uh, which is a Bavarian cheese bread uh, with like almost oniony, peppery bread and pretzel toppings um, that just didn't really go over, but they brought it back for their Stark Beer Fest, and it was a hit. Uh, and they really just lean into doing as big platters of German sausages. Um, and for this fest, they try to get into that German tradition as much as possible. Again, I went to um, a KC Beer Company when I was... Um... Uh, uh, this one was uh, Silver Branch. Oh, Silver Branch. But, okay, I missed the transition. Yeah, but well, never mind. I was about to say, uh, uh, they, they, they uh, pretty much ate my way through their entire appetizer menu and uh, of different sausage and sausages and excellent. Nice. Um, so typically in Munich, the Stark beer is served by the one liter glass. Um, which works fine for a seven and a half or eight percent Doppelbach. Oh Christ! Uh, but uh, some of these breweries uh, that are holding these festivals uh, do a thirteen and a half percent Doppelbach or have some barrel aged beers. That's uh, that's getting into Icebach territory. I mean, strictly speaking, uh, and since we're talking about German beer, we can speak strictly. Doppelbach tops out at I think ten percent. Uh, some of them also do because technically it's just a strong beer festival, uh, but typically the Germans only do the Doppelbach. So some people will also, in addition to the Doppelbach, release like barrel-aged beers uh, that they'll serve in a 10-ounce pour. Uh, I want to say it is uh, the Brothers Craft Brewing in Harrisburg, Virginia, also releases... A uh, beer called Steadfast, which is nineteen and a half percent, and they serve that in a five ounce pour. Good Christ, uh, Americans! What, whatever you do, we'll do it harder and dumber. Yep. Uh, also, the names will differ in the United States compared to Bavaria, where Doppelbox will always have that "ater" suffix, like the salivator, the maximator, the aviator. So. 
but getting back to Casey Beer Company a little, they released their Carolator uh, in memory of Carol Crawford, the sister of the brewery founder. Uh, that was released on Ash Wednesday. And then uh, they are actually ice distilling it. Oh, Christ. <laughs> I knew this would get Jeremy. Uh, and being made into the brewery's Koenig Icebox. Uh, that will be a special release scheduled for Holy Week right at the beginning of April uh, to kind of be their grand finale of the Stark beer season. <laughs> so, I say we should try to get ourselves some of that ice block. All right. How do you propose we do that? Well, we know someone who lives in Kansas City. <laughs> I will. I'll, so, I'll put. A, I'll put out a call. See if. Uh, see if she can help us. I mean, I'll pay for the beer. I'll pay for shipping. I just gotta know how much it is. Okay. Uh, I. I will get on that. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, what do we got next? How to survive craft beer downturn? Provided you already have millions of dollars. News now. <clears throat> uh, these well, are just like everyone. <laughs> yeah. Just who doesn't? I don't. You have like five, ten million dollars laying around. Small yeah, it's bills. just pocket change. Yeah. Um, tough times in the craft beer industry, as I kind of indicated uh, last, uh, uh, in my last article. While I don't believe true market saturation is happening right now, <clears throat> excuse me, while I don't believe that true market saturation is happening right now, I think we can see it from where we're standing. Uh, and two facts remain pretty much ever-present. Uh, the amount of craft breweries keeps growing, the amount of craft beer consumed is inching upwards but remains effectively the same. Um, this year, uh, we may well see fewer breweries open than any year in the past decade. According to, uh, the Brewers Association, 456 breweries opened up in, uh, uh, 2012, uh, reaching a height of, of, uh, 1,219 in 2018. Uh, Damn. 2022 is estimated to have 600 breweries open. Uh, but unlike 2012, which saw only 47 breweries close, 2022 reportedly had 250 close. <laughs> We've said this before. Gone are the times where you can just throw some fermenters in an old warehouse, make a diacetyl-infected 1,000 IBU IPA, and still have lines around the block. Uh, you have to do something that keeps people coming in. And so how do you do that? Well... If you're one of the biggest craft brands and craft brands uh, with some exaggerated quotation marks there, uh, you go huge on your location because, you know, that worked out so well for when Green Flash, Modern <laughs> Times and every other big craft brewery like seven years ago decided to invest heavily on locations. Um, some of the biggest brands in the Midwest are banking that on that in the next few years. This from, comes from Co-Star News by uh, Ryan Ori. Uh, Goose Island, Leidenkugel, and Guinness are set to make big bets on some prime real estate over the next few years, hoping that sheer proximity will be enough to get people coming through the door. Uh, I thought Light you said craft brands. Uh, craft brands. Craft brands with the, you know, I said that there's going to be quotation marks. Some pretty big, Crafty. Craft-ish. Craft-adjacent. craft of. I mean, okay. I mean, they're all of them are owned by uh, all of them are owned by big corporations, but they try to do craft things. Uh, yeah. Lionkugel, owned by Molson Coors, uh, is bringing uh, uh, the beer to Mohammed, as it were, uh, by opening a tap room right in the Milwaukee Brewer Stadium. But it's not going to be just like a cute little tap room in the stadium, you know that you know. It's going to be literally a brewery located in the stadium. As in, there is going to be a three-barrel brewing system located there. Uh, brewing beer that you will not be able to get anywhere else. The full-service bar and restaurant will have 48 beers on tap um, from, the, from the 27-foot-long bar. Uh, and as extreme as that sounds, 
I mean, it's Milwaukee. I say it's a it's a baseball stadium in Wisconsin. I'm surprised it took this long. <laughs> uh, Guinness is set to open up a 15,000 square foot brewery, pub, and restaurant in the Fulton Street Market in Chicago. Um, now, if you're not familiar, this is one of the fastest growing urban centers in the country. It was the former home to uh, uh, meat packing plants, meat packing, meat packing district. Um, we sent all those unpleasant jobs to foreign countries, as is right and proper. Uh, and the district is now home to the global headquarters of McDonald's, uh, Mandela's International, and the Midwest uh, headquarters of Google along with some of the best restaurants and hotels in the city. And they are bank the, uh, uh, they're banking on urban development. <laughs> there's there's the sheer proximity to the yuppies. Are they still called yuppies? Boomers became hippies and then they discovered money and they turned into yuppies. Is that still a thing? Or do we call these, we cut to call rich assholes something else now. I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, they're continuing the gentrification uh, Guinness itself uh, is only brewed in Dublin now, um, and if you still haven't gotten your $5 from that lawsuit, uh, hit them up. I'm sure they're still giving that away. <laughs> but, oh, did they close the Maryland one? No, it's still, but no, Guinness, it's, so Guinness Draft, like what you, like like the Guinness uh, Irish Stout, Yeah. Uh, uh, as of last year, was only brewed in Dublin. Okay. Um, I mean, the uh, Guinness still brews... Um, uh, actually a very wide range of other beers and I've actually been sitting on an article for a couple of weeks. I might uh, roll it out around St. Patty's Day uh, that, I mean, that goes into uh, goes into just how, I, I was aware that Guinness messed around, but I was unaware of the sheer scale to which they actually do quite a lot of different things. A lot of them aren't hmm. available in this country. Uh, you know, and a lot of them are you know, a uh, uh, brewery exclusive, especially now that they have this Maryland location. And I'm sure it will be the same thing with the Chicago location, but for a brewery, the size of Guinness, they, they, they fuck around a bit. Uh, nice. And like I said, this, this, this brewery in Chicago is going to be much like their uh, Baltimore location, focusing on small batches of one-off beer. Uh, Goose Island taking over uh, an old salt warehouse, which is right next door to another industrial building that's been converted into a major concert venue that's bringing the likes of uh, the Flaming Lips, Iggy Pop, The Roots, Fleet Foxes. Um, and again, we're talking about just being in the right location. Um, uh, the the idea, of course, is, I mean, that's becoming a major entertainment center and so, what do you do? What do you do to pre-game and post-game? Why not head go to the, the bar? There is one brewery mentioned in this article that isn't a huge national brand, brand, and that was Three Weavers, uh, brewing out of uh, California. They apparently got some friends in high places. Um, billionaire uh, Stan Chronic, uh, when he was building his five billion dollar SoFi Stadium mixed-use Hollywood Park project. Mm-hmm. Every one of those, every one of those words just makes me sound a, just a, a, a little bit worse. Um, he wanted something authentic, possibly because he'd never actually seen anything that's authentic in his stupid rich kid life. Um, so wow, Stan Kroenke hate. <laughs> I'm fuck all billionaires. Um, so is that how you pronounce it? Kroenke? Yeah, I, I took a run at it and failed miserably, but. Uh, He's got a billion dollars, so he can, you know, his 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 last name is, you know what? I shall call him Fruity Tutu. Unless he wants to own this podcast, then just cut us a check and we'll call you whatever you want. <laughs> I'll call you Susan if it makes you happy. Uh, yeah, for like, I don't know, for like $2,000, I'll call you, you, you can, I, I'll let you replace Tyler. Big Kronk! <laughs> the Big Kronk. <laughs> anyway, um. One of the first businesses that signed a lease was a local brewery in Inglewood looking to expand. Um, they are getting a 20,000 square foot brewery and restaurant um, to open in 2024. Outdoor seating, live music, and views of the nearby sports venue. Um, looking at all of this, I don't think 
it's terribly surprised that neither the brands nor the location or anything else um, is. It, I, I mean, it all makes a lot of sense. Uh, although, as you, I think, as you indicated, I kind of came to the same came to the same conclusion. I mean, we've what we're seeing there is not the the hyper optimistic to the point of delusion um, uh, building that we saw with like modern times and uh, green flash. flash. I mean, what, when they they were, they were opening up places that they frankly couldn't afford. And in order to afford them, they needed like the triple digit growth they had seen, uh, you know, in the previous years, they needed that much growth for like the next 10 years or something, you know, they, their expectations uh, for the future were, violently optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of reminds me what you see on a smaller scale up in Montana. Uh, Cause just being up there for work and talking to some accounts up there, they're like, Oh yeah, this brewery just opened this huge new location that has this huge concert venue amphitheater that all these big names are coming because they're traveling along that I 90 corridor and are like, well, we have to drive through bumfuck Montana might as well get paid to fucking drive through this state. Might as well stop in bumfuck. Don't ever stop in bumfuck. Uh, well, for, I mean, Missoula, Bozeman. For, for a re- for I mean, for the number one reason is, ironically, there is no bumfucking there going on there. It's I think it's illegal. It's 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 a misnomer and false advertising. That's all I'm saying. You're gonna call it bumfuck. Uh, there should be some bumfucking. But it from the sounds of what you were describing <laughs> is these national brands are starting to like try to incorporate themselves into activities people are already doing and basically trying to ingrain themselves in the everyday culture. Well, we said it before. Uh, I mean, we've done several stories on this and that, and you know, the idea that, you know, just having beer, you know, I mean the, the, the idea of uh, of the brew pub going out for a beer and that being enough is a it, you're it, it's a stretch anymore they, you've got to have something because you can get a beer literally everywhere you can get a beer at the goddamn dog park for Christ's sakes um mm-hmm. and so you need to have an extra reason people to come to the brewery and when you've got when you're when you're owned by the likes of Molson Coors uh, AB InBev, or you're just bestest buddies with uh, Sam Cronky? Was that? Uh, don't forget Diageo owns Guinness too. That too. I mean, my point is, I mean, they have the money to kick around for this, and so I mean, but but they are but they are doing, uh, you know, what are you know they're they're they are doing that uh, uh, you know they're building that other reason for existence, just bigger, grander, and for you know millions and millions of dollars so adding credence to that idea that you need to have that thing to keep people showing up and if you've got a few million dollars uh yeah build a gigantic twenty thousand foot uh, uh brewery right next to a concert venue if you don't i don't know maybe trivia night we're going back to the iron age i don't want to there's no there there there, there is no plumbing they just discovered beer, and you know what? They drink it out of like a, a giant vat out of a straw. You know, if you sit, have to sit some guy who will not stop going on about his new cult of Ninkasi, it's, it's a fucking nightmare. Well, uh, from this article on I fucking love science.com, uh, researchers found a 2,500 year old uh, cauldron in an Iron Age tube. That contained the remnants of ancient alcohol. Uh, Bettina Arnold uh, from the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Why is it from someone who, for someone from Wisconsin, finds this ancient booze and is like, "We need to recreate this"? Uh, I mean, why? Who else would do that? I mean, for this, for roughly the same reason that uh, uh, a a guy famously. Uh, got paid to do a, to to study the effects of heroin by doing heroin in California. That's just where that sort of thing happens. <laughs> well, they discovered 
they were investigating this burial mound uh, that was dating back to between 400 and 450 BCE uh, when she and her team came across what appeared to be a bronze cauldron. Uh, and it was largely intact, and they were able to actually find liquid in it and derive some sense of what the contents were. Uh, Wait, there was still liquid um, in the bottom of the, the cauldron or, like, stuck in, like... Yeah. So, it the contents amounted to, to be, nearly... That had smelt. Listen, I've left, I've left uh, uh, like, um, uh, like, beer, like, uh, 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 wort in, the, in my brew pot um, for, like, a couple of days. That smells fucking awful. Uh, mm -hmm. 25,000 years. That's got a, that's got a 2,500. Okay. 2,500 still that's, that's, that's gotta smell like shit. Uh, it was the contents amounted to nearly 14 liters or 3.7 gallons. If we're using freedom units, um, in the cauldron of it, uh, according to this article. So unless the article misquotes it or I'm misreading it, huh? Um, of unknown alcoholic beverage uh, that had been buried with the occupant of the tumulus, um, the cauldron full of booze, as well as the weapons he had been interned with, uh, would have allowed the unknown man to establish himself as an important person in the next world as he had been in this world. I mean, what way, What better way to walk into the afterlife than, yo, brought my own liquor, who wants to party? I mean... Famously, uh, the the afterlife is BYOB. Yeah, uh, so Irish of a, course the Irish wrote a song about it. There is no, there's in heaven there is no beer. You have to bring your own. That's the, that's a part of that song that uh, they they omitted. I mean, you have famously said if you were to ever end up in prison, you would just try to survive by being the guy who makes the toilet wine for everyone. God, so fuck yes. Uh, so the only logical next step uh, was to figure out if they could make some of this brew and taste it for themselves. Uh, so they enlisted the services of paleobotanist Dr. Manfred Reusch, uh, who was able to analyze the cauldrons and came up with a rough idea of the recipe. He said the contents consisted of a honey-based alcoholic beverage in which two plant species represented by pollen remains were present at levels suggesting that they were added as flavorings. Okay. Meadow sweet, often found in prehistoric mead, and mint. So, uh, they deemed it was probably a braggot that had been made, which, Jeremy, you want to define what a braggot is? Braggot is uh, some combination of beer and mead. Uh, can be 50-50, but you, 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 you have some grain, you have some honey, um, and it makes a booze that's not quite beer, it's not quite mead, it's, well, braggot. Yep. And luckily for Arnold and, her, and the team, one of the cellar masters at a local Milwaukee beer producer, Lakefront Brewery, uh, had a fair amount of experience with brewing this particular drink. Been to Lakefront so, Brewing. Uh, nice place. They make good beer there. And apparently good yeah. braggot. Uh, so Sheridan and a colleague set to work. Uh, it took uh, about seven hours for them to develop the recipe. And then they let it ferment for two weeks. And it was time for the moment of truth. Uh, NPR's Bonnie North described the first taste of the Iron Age brews as I got to sip the final product, the result was smooth and pleasant, almost like a dry port, but with a minty herbal tinge to it. It also packed an alcoholic kick. Um, Did they mention what the ABV was either in the uh, in the in the final thing or in the sample or the sample in the cauldron? No, they didn't at all. Those, so those fuckrods. Yep. Um. It just basically talks that they use Lakefront Brewing to um, go with it. They used they harvested a couple handfuls of mint uh, from the Honors College Brew Garden, uh, 
as well as a few ounces of Meadowsweet. Um, and then um, they uh, they brought seven pounds of Colossus honey as well as two pounds of Wireman smoked malt. And then used seven pounds of Warminster floor malted Maris otter. It might and not, it might not mention this, but just out of morbid curiosity, did they did they was that a uh, because they 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 found traces of smoke in the uh, in the uh, sample itself, or is it just logically where they're thinking? Well, if you're going to if, at, at that point in time, in order to make malted barley, you're going to have to heat it, which means it's going to be smoked. Uh, so they didn't specifically mention, but they did say, you know, because it was a prehistoric brew. It kind of inferred that they were leaning towards to malt it. You, it was going to be slightly smoked because that's how you would have had to heat it. Um, and it, they really only did about a five gallon batch. So they brought the pre boil to six and a half gallons. Uh, they didn't say what they got on a refractometer pre boil. So I'm not sure what the origin, the pre boil gravity was. Uh, they used the California ale yeast on there. Now, I would imagine that the, the, well, I mean, ah, I imagine here it, it is. had to have been wild fermented because it's not like you could nip down to your whole homebrew store and get the uh, Sierra Nevada yeast now, could you? So it had nope. to have been wild fermented. Uh, they, so the one they brewed was, they're assuming between six and a half and seven percent. Oh, Okay. Respectable, but not, not, not boozy. I mean, not. I mean, well, I you'd I, you'd be surprised uh, how big some of those. Um, I mean, ancient's the wrong word, but but some of the I've I've run across old recipes uh, before, and especially like a good example is the very first precursor to IPA, October beer. Um, would be boiled for like f- like four hours nonstop, and it rounded off at about uh, est- my estimates by uh, uh, by trying to calculate um, uh, how much grain and everything they used was about a fourteen percent beer. Okay. So I, you could hit the higher rate. I mean, and of course, wine, you know, uh, would would always be about twelve uh, to fourteen percent, um, except for uh, in in. Uh, ancient Greece and ancient Rome, um, any respectable citizen would water down uh, your uh, water down the wine before drinking it. Only uh, uh, barbarian heathens from like Germany or northern Idaho would dare drink wine straight. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing because <laughs> you know I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, in that article, there's actually a hyperlink that takes you to the University of Wisconsin Madison's uh, like blog post about the whole brew day that talks, you know, what time they started, every, their whole like including, you know, their strike water was at this temp. Uh, here's how long it took basically a brew log if you wanted to do this so you too can brew uh, a 25,000 20, uh, year old brew in a matter of weeks yep if you so choose and then you can have your family bury you with that as well as your weapons so you can go into the afterlife as royalty that is actually in my will now. I, I will. Uh, I will demand that someone brew that beer, bury me with it, with my weapons, which I guess would actually just be more beer, um, <laughs> so that I can walk into uh, walk into Valhalla going, brought my own. I'm good. Let's party. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But I only brought a I only brought one cauldron, so I hope that this afterlife is short. Ragnarok is 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 soon, right? Right? It's a whole... uh, 
your wife's going to be so pissed when she has to buy an extra big coffin just to fit that cauldron. <laughs> uh, anything else for us today, Tyler? Uh, one quick thing. Uh, our friend uh, Michael Teeter, who brought us to Pliny the Younger, sent me a text this morning uh, talking about uh, the new assault on humanity that is Sunny D's vodka seltzer. I I did see uh, that in my news feed, and for mental health reasons, and also because I was already angry enough at Post Malone, I just skipped over that. <laughs> yep. And I'm my only response to him when he sent me this was, "Yeah, I saw." And he's go, he goes, "God has forsaken us," and I was like, "Yep." This is about on par with Hard Mountain Dew to, for me. And he goes, I mean, I'm still going to try it if I can. I'm like, oh, I will too. But why? Why? I mean, the, 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 the tragedy, if we want to really, really stretch the uh, use of that term, is that Hard Mountain Dew will be long dead, I think, before it makes it to this market. Uh, possibly the same thing with uh, a boozy Sunny D for for uh, uh, those of us who um, have a small child, um, you know, drinking a, a, a flavored sugar water, going, I just put some vodka in that. That little motherfucker will finally sleep. <laughs> just need a and just, child protective services are showing just, up. Just just need a just need a, a, a boozy juice box for that little shit. Just a little Capri. A Capri Sundown, I guess, is what I'm asking for. <laughs> uh, well, this has been it's on that <laughs> on that note. As this has been, uh, it's all beer. If you'd like to uh, uh, get a hold of us and tell me what a terrible parent I am, uh, you can do so. Uh, we have our Twitter account. Uh, it's all beer one. We post uh, the articles we uh, we read. Uh, to make this podcast, um, we have an Instagram and a Facebook page where I have done things in the past and may well, well do again. Um, you can find us at It's All Beer. Uh, you can send us an email, uh, It's All Beer at gmail.com if you want to, uh, uh, again, uh, want to complain to Tyler about uh, the, uh, the, the obvious references to Nazism, uh, my terrible parenting <laughs> advice. Or uh, just in general, just the general demeanor of this podcast. <laughs> R.I.P. Harambe. <laughs> and that'll be quite enough from us. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm going to have a beer. Have fun. Have fun.